what I wanted to do was uh, enjoy reflecting with you on the story of the feeding of that crowd and the amazing story of Jesus calming the storm. But I could not do that this week as I prepared, having read the beginning of the narrative of the fallenness and brokenness of the great King David, a man after God's own heart and a man whose own heart became corrupted. And I believe we need to simply um, dwell on that Old Testament reading this morning and see if there's something there that we can uh, receive for our lives on a very dark subject. Sin. Three-letter word, sin. Some of the biblical words that translate from the Greek for sin, uh, one of those biblical words means uh, you crossed a line. You know, you're out of bounds, and you crossed a line is one of the New Testament biblical words for sin. Another one uh, is that you've missed the target. There was a bullseye to aim for, the goodness of your life, and you got way off track, like a compass heading gone awry. Sin is crossing a line. It's missing the target, missing the mark. It is not good. (laughs) And... We learn today that our eyes are where the trouble often begins. Bathsheba was not in David's house. She was not in his courtyard. She was a long distance away. And what we learn in this story is from David's roof, he saw a woman bathing. And it begins. We need to remember that our eyes are where the trouble often begins. When Jesus was teaching on this topic once, uh, he spoke about the eyes. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. How you look at the world, how you look at people, how you look at things. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And Jesus says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's a darkness that even will help us not to see what we need to see about ourselves. It is a darkness that is lived in denial or rationalizing about our behaviors, it is a very deep darkness because we do not even think we need help, nor need rescuing, nor need God. The eye is the lamp of the body, Jesus taught. We learn today that our eyes are where the trouble often begins. Men, men, beware what you use your eyes for. Women are persons, not objects of conquest. Women, beware what you use your eyes for. For you, it may be more the store window or the mall promenade. That lovely poem, I'll just offer an extract, brimming closets, Shoe racks bulge, 
One in every color, I'll just indulge. My wildest whim will oft be met. Bigger, faster, give me, get. Travel on in Babylon. Babylon's an image of the world, absent God. The eye is the lamp of the body. When David saw a woman bathing, the trouble begins. Sin, a line crossed, the beginning of the missed mark. What does sin do? Well, it causes alienation between us and God, our Father, the one who loves us dearly. It causes a rupture. Sin causes alienation between us and others. Relationships are hurt, wounded, maimed, even killed. Sin causes alienation between us and ourselves. We no longer feel whole or kind of right or good. There is a split within us between the darkness and the light. Sin causes alienation. And sadly, sin often involves betrayal. We hear this horrendous story. Bathsheba's Uriah's uh, wife. Uriah is fighting one of David's wars. They are still conquering the promised land, establishing this mighty kingdom, which does indeed become a mighty kingdom, has become a mighty kingdom. Uriah is not merely a soldier, bad as that would be in this betrayal. Uriah, we learn in other places of this story, is a member of David's elite bodyguard called David's Mighty Men by others and called simply sometimes the 30. They were that crack group, first-rate warrior protectors and fighters sworn to absolute and uncompromising loyalty even to death for their king whom they loved. That's Uriah. He's not an unknown quantity to David. Sin often involves betrayal. And if you follow this story further, it gets worse. David, you know, says, put him out in front. Move the battle too close to the wall, better than we would normally do, so that you're within in aim of the arrows, within reach of the arrows. Uriah falls by an arrow from the wall, a totally unnecessary death. Others as well fall alongside him because they came too close to the wall, we learn later. And uh, Joab, the commander of the army, says, Now, when you go back with this message that we've taken the city but at great cost, and when David gets upset, why did you go so close to the wall? Then tell him, and Uriah died also, and David will be fine. Oh, boy. Sin often involves betrayal of those closest to us. And sin is a progressive disease. It does not stop where it begins. It does not stop where it starts. It is progressive unless it is interrupted by the divine healer. So James will describe it in such a fashion that he 
will say, well, it begins with desire, and I want, that becomes a preoccupation, and so becomes a temptation because we can't get our minds off of it. In other words, it more and more is front and center first. In other words, it kind of becomes that thing which we're worshiping because it's the thing we most dwell upon in the hours of the day until we are pulled further and further into it. So James says, until one is dragged away and enticed. Do you have that one on there? Yeah. Progressive. Desire conceives. It gives birth to sin, the actual act. And sin, when it grows from childhood to full-grown adulthood, gives birth to death. The death of relationships with God, with others, even with ourselves. James concludes that passage, the first chapter of James. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters, you see. Don't be deceived by your own denial, rationalizing, illusions. Be careful. Sin often involves betrayal. It causes alienation. It is progressive. Sin is deadly. It's deadly. People die from sin. Ask an addict who was dying. Or ask someone who knew an addict who never was able to be delivered. Say, oh, he died. Or ask one whose marriage died in sin. The relationship totally broken apart. Sin is deadly. Ask one who has been far, far away from God for a long time and wonders where God went as they live in, dwell in sin having crossed the line and stayed across the line, having continued to miss the mark, sin is deadly to relationships. Paul asked in desperation in that letter to the church in Rome, he says, who can deliver us? This is big stuff. This is deep stuff. This is stuff of the, I can't manage. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul asked. To anyone who's listening. And then Paul answers his own question. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ. Paul will write later in another letter. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace, the love, the gift. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet he for your sakes. For our sakes became poor. He humbled himself. Even to death on a cross. So that you through his poverty might become rich. Hallelujah. I only know one remedy for sin. Confession. I did it. You bring it from the darkness to the light. It's acknowledgement. It's hard to do. I did it. And with that confession must come contrition. And I am sorry I did it. Paul warns us about two kinds of sorrow in Corinthians. He says, you know, godly sorrow will bring repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. 
godly sorrow, but he warns us about something he calls worldly sorrow. He says that will still bring death. I think worldly sorrow is when you got caught or you know you're going to get caught, and so you fess up so you can avoid the consequences you hope is worldly sorrow. Brings to mind a certain president of a certain pastime who was finally caught. I didn't necessarily hear the godly sorrow, but I saw the worldly sorrow in that president. Perhaps it was godly, but it wasn't I did it until there was proof that he had done it. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Confession, I did it. Contrition, I'm sorry, I did it. And amendment, the decision and intention to change. Brothers and sisters, we'll hear the rest of the story with David. It is interesting that David does not come to see this by himself. He needs help from another, Nathan. We'll hear that story next week. Sometimes it requires somebody speaking the truth in love to break into our darkness because we refuse to deal with it. Sometimes we can do it on our own. But confession requires absolute honesty. I did it. And contrition requires absolute humility. I'm sorry I did it. Amendment requires the Holy Spirit to be an agent of power and change. And then there is a glorious day of reconciliation that can come between two persons and between your God and mine. Reconciliation with God and forgiveness from God comes through the cross of Jesus from which he says, I love you. I will pay for it so that you may be restored in relationship with your heavenly father. And reconciliation with others and with yourself requires an open and honest conversation. The willingness to admit our wrong and a request to that other person. Will you forgive me for what I did? The rest of the story follows in chapter 11 and 12. It's a worthwhile read. To read it in whole, we'll hear a part of it next week to hear the resolution of David's circumstances. And if you read beyond that, you'll discover that there are still long-term consequences for his behavior that affect the whole rest of his life and his children's lives. Sin causes alienation, involves betrayal often. It's progressive and it is deadly. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.